Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for bringing us here. May we all take time to learn how to understand you more. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, this is, a, this is one surreal moment for me. I can distinctly remember my first time visiting First Baptist some four and a half years ago. I sat in the back of the section where there was a bunch of college students. Maybe it was the sermon, though I honestly don't remember what Matt talked about. Maybe it was the music, but I don't remember what we sung either. What I remember is coming to this church and thinking that this is where I need to be in this season of life. You see, some seven years ago, I began to understand that ministry should be a big part of my life. You might say it was a call, or that I began to see God's will, but I like to say that I simply began to understand God more. What I didn't know, though, was where in the world I would be doing ministry. I had some inklings here and there. I knew I wanted to be writing software the whole time, but that was really more a wrench in the whole deal more than anything else. But by the grace of God, FBC came into my life, and, I'm, and they began to walk with me to understand what it means to participate in ministry as a witness of God. Growing up, I had a rather one-track mind on what ministry would look like. A lot of the time, it meant just getting people into the doors of the church. And this is good and true, but it just didn't always feel personal to me. Other times, ministry looked like going door-to-door, just asking people if they knew about Jesus. Again, not a bad thing. In fact, in our first trip to Nicaragua, that's largely what we did. We went to each and every person in the village, passing out tracts and just asking them about life. And in reflecting on my time there, I learned to see great value in doing ministry like this. But again, it, it just didn't seem personal to me. Over the course of the past few years, though, many of which were while I was here at First Baptist, I was introduced to a text that really shaped the way I see the world and how I am to bear witness to the work of Christ in it. With that in mind, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. This is a text that has been an important one to me, and I hope I can shed some light on it here for all of us. Because let me tell you, it's good stuff. I'll start reading from verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among, gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her child. So being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, 
because you had become very dear to us. Just about anyone who I've talked to about ministry, or really life in general, has probably heard me quote this passage before. The whole thing is rich, especially when you sit down and read it as a part of all of 1 Thessalonians. But it's verse 8 that really catches me. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. These words of Paul present a very different way of ministry than what I grew up understanding. This way of ministry, <laughs> excuse me, is personal. Paul is speaking to a group of people that had grown on him over time. And now looking back at the growth he had seen in them and their time together, he writes back to them with great affection. It's in verse 8 that we see Paul's lens for doing ministry, sharing our own selves. This is, the way, this is a way of seeing the world that doesn't keep it or the people in it at arm's length. It comes from a place of tender affection. Hence, Paul compares it to the act of a nursing mother caring for her child. And just a little earlier in chapter 1, Paul mentions that the, Thess- that the Thessalonians, say that five times fast, <laughs> they had become imitators of himself and those with him. He actually makes a similar claim in Philippians 3 and a few other places, telling people to imitate him. The context of this, though, is that people should always imitate him as he imitates Christ. Paul's words to the Thessalonians are bold and personal. It takes a great amount of confidence to ask someone to imitate you, because if you do something wrong, so will they. But Paul makes this bold claim because he knows that it is necessary for people to really share life together. And I think Paul can take confidence in these words because he knows he's built a life around living for Christ. He knows that when push comes to shove, when his his reactions will reflect the good nature of Christ. He knows that when he's tested, because he knows he will be tested, that the truth of the work of Christ in his life will bear its face. Paul lives this way because he wants to invite people into his life to see all that he has to offer and to see all that Christ has to offer. Now I know what you're thinking. Austin, I'm no Paul. Neither am I. None of us are here. But the thing is, that's not what Paul's asking us to be. He isn't asking us to be himself. He's asking us to live our lives so thoroughly devoted to Christ that we can share our own selves and be in relation with those around us. Paul's asking us to be a living witness to the work of Christ and what he's done in our lives. Paul's words aren't just to the minister. They're for each and every one of us in here to hear and act on. Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians, and really anywhere he writes, are pretty consistent. They're an invitation for us to change our character, an invitation to change the core of the way we make decisions so that each and every action we take is not to please man, 
but to glorify God. When you boil down life, it's really just thousands and thousands of decisions being made again and again. Some are bigger, life-changing decisions. Should I move to this city? Or should I go to college here? Others are a little smaller. Should I wave at the person walking by me on the street? Or how should I respond to the guy in the office next to me who has once again turned his music up and is annoying me? The big decisions we make are obviously important, but I think it's these smaller ones that Paul is asking us to examine a little more thoroughly. In the passage right after the one we we read, Paul talks about working day and night so they wouldn't be a burden on the people of Thessalonica while he was sharing the gospel with them. When we read this, I picture Paul sitting outside his house in the morning working on yet another tent. I picture him looking up and seeing his neighbor across the street doing the exact same thing. So what does he do? He picks up his supplies, he walks across the street, and sits beside his neighbor to work. It's nothing special, but it's in this kind of mundane moment that opportunities are created to really share life with people. I imagine Paul asking the guy how his day is going, asking about his family, what kind of material he's using on his tent. Then I imagine Paul asking about what he thought of the scriptures and the other stuff that was discussed in the synagogue recently. I imagine Paul mentioning his own experience with Christ and how it relates to those scriptures. And then I imagine the man giving Paul a weird look and trying to change the subject quickly. Then I can see the next day and Paul doing the same thing simply because he wants to have a good conversation while he's working. What does he do? Well, over time, a friendship begins to form and you begin to expect that every morning you see Paul and this guy sitting side by side, shooting the breeze about the happenings of the day. And Paul again begins to ask this guy about the scriptures that were read in the synagogue. But rather than trying to change the subject, he begins to embrace it bit by bit. The man hears Paul's history as a persecutor of the things that he's now preaching. And he begins to wonder. Then again, sometime later, the man himself begins to bring up the scriptures and begins to speak of the work God is doing in his life. This is what it means to share life. It's simple, everyday decisions. They give us the ability to declare the work that God has done in our life. And again, I know what you're thinking. Austin, I can't make all these decisions, right? And I don't think that's what Paul's asking us to do. He's asking us, though, to to take the time to step back and examine ourselves so we can begin to make these decisions well. So what I want to do is look at a couple things that I think Paul teaches us on how we can do that. As Matt would say, this is where we're going to put the cookies on the low shelf. I'll talk about two things, relationships and the act of remembering. Just like life really revolves around decisions, at the heart of each of these decisions is some kind of relationship. It could be a relationship with someone else, 
or it could be a relationship to yourself. Every part of our lives involves relationships in some way, shape, or form. When we look back at the Old Testament, we're told the story of Israel, a people who was to be in covenant relationship with God and each other. And at the heart of the way they were to live was the Ten Commandments. I'm sure there are a number of people in here who could spout them all off, maybe even do it to a song. And when you look at these Ten Commandments, you can split them into two groups, those that teach us how to relate to God and those that teach us how to relate to each other. At the heart of the way Israel was to live is a call for each of us to look at the relationships in our lives and make sure they're all right. The passage we read from Mark earlier comments on this saying that loving God with all you have is the greatest commandment. And then what follows? Loving your neighbor as yourself. We're called to live a life of right relationships. And that's largely what the whole of Scripture is about, living in right relationship. If we are to live in a way that so we can really share our own selves, we have to be willing to look at each and every relationship around us, be it others in your family, your mom and dad, your coworker, or the cashier who works the register you go to every week at, every week at HEB. We have to be willing to look at these relationships and see what parts of them glorify God and what parts of them don't. This is often the most dangerous part of learning to share your own self because it forces you to be a little bit vulnerable. It forces you to maybe admit that you were wrong in something you said, in something you didn't say, in something you did. It forces you to stick yourself out there and approach the other person humbly for sake of making the relationship right once again. One of the most referenced passages in the New Testament is the Sermon on the Mount. This passage could really be thought of as Jesus' go-to sermon. And we read it, it speaks of two things. How do we orient ourselves to God? And how do we set ourselves in right relationship with our neighbor? And at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. In it, <coughs> in it we read a petition for the kingdom of God to come, for us to fix our eyes on the will of God, and for us to make our relationship with those around us right once again. So examining relationships, this is the first act we can learn from Paul about really sharing our own selves. Now on the flip side of this command to love your neighbor as yourself is the call to love yourself too. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. This brings us to our second act we can learn from Paul. Taking the time to step back and remember in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, we read of Paul constantly taking the time to pray and remember the work and faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in Christ that the Thessalonians had. Paul took the time to stop and look back 
at the work that had been done in the Thessalonians. He took the time to stop and see God in the midst of the relationships that had built. He took the time to see God and those around him. Taking this time to remember and be rejuvenated by those memories is what allows Paul to continue giving his own self to the Thessalonians. In Galatians, there's a brief mention of Paul going to Arabia right after his calling to Christ. What's interesting about this is that Paul says, says this right after speaking of the way he used to persecute the church. This is a time, this time Paul had in Arabia, we're told it's three years. I imagine it to be a time of reflection and remembering. We've all had those points in our lives where we have major change that happens and we stop and look back at how we got to where we are. For me, that's kind of been leading up to preaching here, looking back at the last seven years and now I'm preaching at First Baptist. For Paul, that time of reflection was in Arabia. I imagine him looking back at his time as a Pharisee, wondering if he had missed something that would have led him to Christ earlier. I imagine him looking back at his time as a persecutor of the church with great regret and remorse. I imagine him looking back at the scriptures, seeing the whole story, seeing how the whole story was really leading up to Christ, the resurrection, and the life in him. This time of Arabia was a time for Paul to remember the things that had happened and put them in the light of Christ. The thing about this time, though, is we don't hear Paul coming out of it with guilt hanging over his head. We hear him come out of it proclaiming the freedom that is in Christ. We hear him come out of it sharing his own self as a living witness to the work Christ did in him. The thing is, though, this kind of remembering doesn't just occur at those great points of change in our life. Paul says he does this constantly. He's constantly in prayer, remembering the works of God. You might be asking, how the heck am I supposed to do this? My schedule's already so busy. How can I take more time to pause and remember? Again, I hear you. Taking the time to stop and make the space to be with God and remembrance is difficult, but it is oh so valuable. As my dad was teaching my sister and I to drive, he used to use this phrase with us all the time, know the limitations of your vehicle. Now, I'm quite certain that he meant this only to be, you know, relate to cars, but I've sure found it to be applicable elsewhere in my life. If we just keep running nonstop, always busy, hustling from this to that, we'll have a much harder time remembering the works God has done in our life. We'll have a much harder time seeing how God is working in those around us. Our vehicle has limitations, and every once in a while, we need to stop, remember, and refuel a bit. It's in this time of remembering that we get to look back at our own lives and really see what God has done. We begin to pause and remember the stories 
of our lives that have changed us. We begin to see God in the smaller things. Remember these small messages of encouragement we got from a friend. We remember the moments of failure that we had, followed by a surprising sense of peace we'd forgotten about. These memories of the works of God give us life in the present. They give us our own life to share with others as a living witness to the works of Christ and the hope we have in him. And this, my friends, is where I leave you. I leave you with an invitation to look at the relationships in your life and see how you can glorify God in them. I leave you with an invitation to pause and remember the works of Christ in your life and being affectionately desirous of you. I leave you with an invitation to share not only the gospel of God, but your own self, because you have become very dear to me. Would you bow your heads? God, I thank you for the people here for remembering each and every one of us. God, I pray that you show us how we can pause and remember the works you've done in our life. That we may set our relationships right and that we may share our own selves. Amen. Uh, This is what we're going to enter into a time of commitment. And if you feel that God is stirring something up in you, or you would like to talk about becoming a member of First Baptist, we'd invite you to the front, and we'd love to pray with you. Peter?